So I want to start this morning by sharing a little silly story about a, a preacher from a long, long time ago, 100 years or so ago, who uh, came in and told his wife that he had just bought two cows, uh, two baby calves, uh, a white one and a brown one. And he said, we're going to raise these calves and we're going to use one for ourselves to provide meat uh, and maybe leather goods uh, for us and the family. And the other cow we're going to give to the Lord and, and his purpose and his cause. And so the wife said, well, well, which one's ours and which one's the Lord? And he said, well, um, we don't have to answer that question today. We can figure that out another time. A year passes. The wife's at the kitchen sink. Husband comes into the, uh, the kitchen and announces that one of the cows died. She said, the white one or the brown one? He said, it was the Lord's cow. <laughs> that little silly story gives you a little feel for some of the discomfort that ministers often have when it comes to the topics of, of generosity and giving, uh, which is the topic that I have for you this morning. We get a little uh, tight about that because there's so many different variables that can go into the, the topic of stewardship and, and generosity. And a lot of times we see people starting to squirm when that subject is mentioned, and I want to relieve that right from the beginning. But I also want to say, uh, I know so many of you are generous to begin with, and that a sermon on giving or a sermon on generosity is actually going to be nothing but a good dose of affirmation for what you're already doing. So this message is uh, not prepared with the needs of the church in mind. Uh, this is not a, a setup for a, a fundraising campaign that's getting ready to, to get launched. Uh, developing the concepts of stewardship and generosity. Uh, when you do that within a congregation, it's just as worthy and it's just as good as if you talk about prayer or Bible study or a mission engagement or, or worship. So there's value in this from a discipleship standpoint that stands apart from needing to raise money for the church budget or for a capital campaign. When, so when you develop stewardship and generosity... Uh, you end up funding those things as a byproduct of the discipleship that's going on inside a person's heart. And these collections end up being uh, worthy, but stewardship and generosity itself, they stand apart from funding goals, and really they stand above the funding needs of a church. So stewardship is, and generosity is broader, is larger, it's more encompassing and should not really ever be a servant to the funding goals that the church has. Uh, there's a, a popular preacher who uh, is often quoted on this. He says, stewardship and generosity is what we want for you, not from you. And that captures the, the, the tone of the message that I have for you this morning. So I, I don't intend to strong arm anyone into further generosity, uh, but I hope to present generosity as something that's intriguing and something that becomes a want to rather than a have to. And I'd like to give you the bottom line right here at the beginning. Paul, as he's talking to the Corinthians, he recognizes the spiritual maturity of the Corinthian believers in their faith, in their words, in what they knew, their hard work, and in their love. He then tells them to also excel in this grace. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 says, Now you, as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge and all diligence and in your love for us excel also in this grace the act of giving is described as grace the capacity and act of giving is itself a gift from God 
to the giver. To the giver. Chapter 8, verse 1 describes the generosity of the Macedonian churches as the grace of God. And then Paul calls for the Corinthians to excel in this grace in the verse that we just read. And in chapter 9, verse 8, he says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that you, in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God is, is the one who enables the grace of giving or giving grace. So giving becomes not a burden that we bear, but a grace that we receive. Not a burden to bear, but a grace that we receive. The most recognized player in the field of generosity is money. Uh, but it's not the only player. There are other things that are there. Our, all of our resources, but certainly our money, but also our influence, our relationships that we have, our tangible possessions, how we schedule our activity uh, within the course of a week or a month or a year. All, all these are areas in which generosity can find expression. Generosity calls us to not be fastened by the items that are temporary, but to prize the things that are eternal. So a call to generosity provides an opportunity for the believer to come to terms with one of, most, one of life's most powerful influencers, and, and that is money. We start asking questions about our relationship to, to money. Uh, what does money mean to me? Have I maintained a loose affiliation with money? Has the control of money started to reassert itself? Have uh, upward lifestyle adjustments inched their way up into a disproportionate level in my life? Have I sold myself the lie that it, I will find more joy when I find more money? Have I surrendered to God my goods, my belongings, my money, and all that I've attached to those things? My, my hopes, my, my dreams, my wants, or all those things attached to my children or to my grandchildren. Fundraising expert Mark Dillon says that there are, there are four, times, four types of givers. There are those that are unable to give, those that are unwilling to give, those that are uninformed, and those that are uninspired. Well, when we look at the Macedonians today, as Paul describes them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we actually see just the opposite. We see that they were, they were able, they were willing, they were informed, and they were inspired. So as we read this passage, and you can go ahead and start turning uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 if you have it. As we read this passage, see if you can see those characteristics. And by way of context, what's happening here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is Paul is preparing the church at Corinth to collect a special offering for the, what he calls the ministry of the saints, uh, the church at Jerusalem. Jerusalem had gone through a tremendous famine, and the church was struggling. Uh, they were on very hard times. And so Paul is, is doing a fundraising campaign with the churches that he has helped get started, and, and he's letting them know that uh, they want to collect an offering for these uh, brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So as we read this passage, verses 1 through 12, see if you can hear able, willing, informed, and inspired. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. 
I testify that on their own, according to their ability, and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege and sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I am given an opinion on this because it is profitable for you, who a year ago began not only to do something about it, but also to desire it. But now finish the task as well, that just as there was an eagerness to desire it, so there may also be a completion from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So as we look at the Macedonians and Paul's uh, encouragement to the Corinthians to, to give, let's talk about what it means to be able when it comes to generosity. And one of the first questions we have is, when is the right time to start giving? And how much should I give? When's the right time to give and how much should I give? We see in verse 2 here that the Macedonians, they did not wait until they had stability before they started to give. Verse 2 says, During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. When is the right time to give? Well, the right time to give is it's always now. It is always now. And the answer to how much is that when our attitude towards giving is right, then the amount depends on how much we have. Paul ties how much is acceptable to their desire to give and their capacity to give. Note verse 12. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not what he does not have. What Paul is describing here is proportional giving. Paul is not calling for giving to create a true, a legitimate hardship for the giver. He is appealing to the Corinthians who at the present time had a surplus. Isn't it nice to have a surplus when it comes to money? Uh, that was nice, wasn't it? It was nice for them to be in a position where they had a surplus. It's probably a good question for us. What kind of surplus do we have? How do we get a surplus there's a verse in Proverbs, uh, chapter 13, verse 7, that says, There is one who pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. How do we get a surplus? Well, we simply live on less than we make. We simply live on less than we make. And uh, we offered a class, Financial Peace University, last fall, and, and it goes into great detail about how to develop a surplus. And we had uh, people in their 20s all the way to retirees tell us that they lived differently. They made changes because of the things that they learned in that class. And, and we'll be offering it again uh, in this September as, long as, a, as well as with a class called The Legacy Journey. Now that class, uh, it talks about or helps us think through what, what do we communicate 
What values do we communicate with our money by the way we spend it, uh, save it, give it, and how we leave it behind? Uh, we need to be real clear that money talks, uh, and we communicate a lot with how we spend our money, save our money, give it, and how we leave it behind. Money talks, and it talks loud. It's kind of like excited teenage girls. It talks loud, uh, very loud. Uh, I've sometimes thought, and you, you may have had this thought, hypothetical thought run through your mind. Uh, if I were to win the lottery, and for most of us here, that's probably genuinely hypothetical. If I were to win the lottery, or if I was to ever make this many dollars, I would become the most generous person you'd ever know. Have you ever had a similar thought just kind of run through your mind, run through your head? Well, that line of thinking usually underestimates the human heart's capacity to want things. I have found that my heart has had no problem keeping up with any growth in income that I've ever had. My, my desires keep in lockstep with ever how much more money comes in. And the truism is this, that if I can't figure out how to give making 30000 then I can't figure out how to give when I make 300000 Or if I was to ever make another, another hypothetical number there, the 300000 <laughs> So the question is, is it in our heart to give? Do we want to give? Do we lean towards giving? Or do we lean away from it? And if we lean towards giving and start doing what we can do, we may well be surprised at how quickly we can end up giving more. And it'd be really good for us to not let what we cannot do keep us from what we can do when it comes to giving. There was eagerness in the heart of the Macedonians. Indeed, they saw it as an honor. Verse 4 says, They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing. A lot of times we can see giving as, as a duty and, and as an obligation. That's not what they saw it. They, they saw it as a favor to them. It was a favor to them. And rather than forcing ourselves to give, let's, let's ask God to give us the desire to give or for giving grace. If we find that we are able, then God also wants us to be willing when it comes to giving. Paul wants the Corinthians to see Giving is something that was beneficial for them as givers. Verse 10 says, Now I am given an opinion on this because it is profitable for you. It is profitable for you. Giving was something Paul wanted for the, for the Corinthians, not from the Corinthians. But we often see it as just the opposite, don't we? Or at least we're tempted to see it as just the opposite. Sometimes it requires some proactive thinking on our, on our parts to remind us that it's just the opposite. You want me to give? You, what, you, you want something from me? No, no, no. That's, that's not what's being described here. Yes, God does want you to give money away, but God wants you to see it as an advantage to you. Not a reduction, not a loss, but a gain. The book, The Paradox of Generosity, reports research that found that those who give of their time and money are happier than those who don't. Americans who donate more than 10% of their income struggle less with depression and, than those that don't. Others studies that, other studies have found that people who are generous uh, have lower, lower blood pressure, 
reduce stress. Uh, their moods are stronger. And, uh, and some studies suggest that they can even live longer. Now, I'm not preaching a health and wealth gospel here this morning. There are plenty who are good givers who struggle with depression and have other medical concerns. So I'm not, I'm not specifying a specific formula or a cause and, a cause and effect direct correlation uh, between that. But there can be some strong correlation between giving and some nice health, con, uh, health conditions. What I will not hold back on is saying just exactly what Scripture says, that giving is profitable for the giver. It's profitable for the, for the giver. Now note that Paul says that he is not ordering the Corinthian church to give. Verse 8, I am not saying this as a command. And later he says he is giving his opinion. Verse 10, he does not want to force them to give, but he wants them to see giving as an indicator of their love. I'm not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. And in chapter 9, verse 5, he stresses this approach to giving is not coercion, it's not extortion, but he wants it to be self-initiated, he wants it to be a gift. So when it comes to this type of giving, Paul wants to make it real clear that each of us are in the driver's seat. Again, there's no strong arming going on here. Another couple stories. I want to tell a story of a couple, couple of men. Uh, one is, uh, one's fictional, one's, one's made up, and the other is, is real. Uh, the first story is about a man named Stephen. Uh, Stephen lives uh, just outside of Chicago. Uh, he's a businessman there, and he's a member of his local church. The church there, uh, like all churches do from time to time, they had a capital campaign, and they sent, uh, the committee sent people to go visit with Stephen and, and see what he might be able to do. So they communicated this urgent need, and they communicated a compelling case uh, for his gift to the, to the church. And then they called for his response. And he said, well, uh, I can see why you think I can give $50,000 to this campaign. Uh, I do own my own business, uh, and I guess I have some signs of affluence. Uh, but there's some things going on in my life that you probably don't know. Uh, can I share those with you? And those representatives from the committee said, well, well, sure. You probably didn't know that my, my mom is in a nursing home, and, and that is a really expensive uh, burden. Uh, the committee said, well, no, we, we didn't, we didn't, obviously we didn't know that. You, you probably didn't know that my brother died last year, and he has a family of five, and he had hardly any life insurance whatsoever. Well, no, we didn't know that either. And my middle son, real, just, he loves the Lord. He's deeply spiritual. He's gone into social work, and he's living in Baltimore there. But he lives at the poverty line, and he still has a family that depends on him. Well, we didn't realize any of that. And he said, well, if I don't give any of them any money, why do you think I'm going to give some to you? Well, let's compare and contrast Stephen with a man we'll call Orville. Orville. During his professional life as a pilot, Orville earned $1.5 million. Now, that's over the, the course of his career. That's cumulative of his, his lifetime earnings, $1.5 million. However, he lived on less than he made, and he made some extraordinarily good investments that allowed he and his wife, Beth, 
to give away $34 million. He explained, I believe the only way we could have accumulated so much wealth was by giving it away. God knew that we would give back as much as we possibly could, and He helped us grow and grow in abundance. God was and continues to be involved in every aspect of my life, including my finances. So which one of those stories is made up? Which one is more believable? Which one is real? Well, the real character is Orville Rogers. And I've got a picture I want to show to you uh, of him. Uh, that's Orville. Uh, that's him on the right in, uh, in the shades, in the glasses. He's, he's 99 years old, the same age as our Carol Mosby. Uh, he has set 13 records in track events, age group records in track events. And this is a picture from February of this year where he, he edged out the 92-year-old guy on his left. This is a... <laughs> This is a 60-meter 60, 60 sprint in a blazing 18 seconds. In contrast to our uh, rascal Stephen, our fictional Stephen, Orville learned the truth from Proverbs 11, 24, where it says, One person gives freely, yet gains all the more. Another person withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And the point of today's message is that we should not chide or cajole the miserly Stephen. When it comes to giving, there are a lot of times when the word desire and eager do not describe me. And there's probably some times where eager and desire, when it comes to giving, don't describe some of us also beyond me here in the, in the room. Well, the good news is this, uh, that giving is a manifestation or expression of grace within the believer. It is something that wells up within us, and it's not something that we manufacture. So Paul clarified this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, when he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. It's not a recipe that we generate. It's not some measure of determination that we uh, create. Uh, it is a surrender to God that allows Him to work and will, to will and to act according to his good pleasure in and through us. That's where our willingness comes from. And so if we find ourselves able when it comes to giving and we find ourselves willing, we should also find ourselves being informed when it comes to giving. In this passage, I've told you that Paul is preparing the church for this special collection beyond the tithe for the ministry of the saints in Jerusalem. He wanted them to be prepared so that when his representative Titus came to collect the money, that they would be ready. And so note that there is this desire on their part, there's an eagerness, and there's also some lead time. There's some lead time. Being informed obviously allows us to know the cause to which we're giving. And with that lead time, we can prepare our gift. The advance notice allows the church to prepare and plan their gift. And my question for us today, is there any prayer, uh, preparing or planning when it comes to our giving? And, and what would our giving look like if we did prepare, if we did plan for giving? What would our giving look like if we actually put on paper, you know, I want to give this much money this year, and this is who I want to give it to? How would that transform our giving? What would it look like? What goals would we write down for us to have in terms of giving goals? Would our goals be to 
to begin giving, to start giving? Would our goals be to add a percentage of a tithe on the, on the way to a tithe? Or would it be to add a percentage after the tithe? Would we have a, a, a lifetime giving goal? I want to give away a million dollars over the course of my life. Would, would we need to shoot even higher than that? Now, when we talk about large gifts, they, they're the ones that always get the attention. Uh, yet generosity is based on principles. And principles vary and its applications vary from person to person. So we can often describe a large gift as generous, and it certainly can be quite generous. But generous, it's a relative term, isn't it? Generous is a relative term. There's not a direct correlation between the amount given and whether someone has been generous or not. We don't know. Generosity really only measures the heart, not the size of the gift. And who can size up the heart? Who's the only one that can size the heart? It's God. So the Bible gives numerous examples of gifts by the wealthy, but it also gives examples to those that are poor who also give. Most notably, Jesus' recognition of the widow uh, who, who gave her widow's might in Luke 21, and also of the Macedonians about whom we're reading today. So the widow or widower living on a fixed income, uh, the single parent, uh, or the elementary age boy who's giving $2 off a $5 allowance, may indeed be much more generous than someone who is financially established and giving a larger sum. As a church, we're grateful for any of the money that comes in. Well, We want to be informed when we give. We want to be willing and we want to be able when we give, but we also want to be inspired when it comes to giving. And I think a key question, a bottom line question is this. Do we believe that grace is a good thing? Do we really think grace is a good thing? Of course we do. And, and we've got the act of giving described here as grace. But that, that just, it, it butts up against our fleshly relationship with money, our fleshly understanding of money. Uh, we don't naturally pray to be better givers, do we? How many times have we prayed to be better givers? That, that's not a, that, is, that is a rare prayer that someone would offer to be a better giver. But we do pray to grow in faith and for pure speech, for more knowledge, uh, to be more diligent, to, to grow in love. And we do pray for an expression to be recipients of God's grace. So can we imagine asking God for giving grace? Can we imagine adding that to our petitions when we're in our quiet times? The, the packaging of grace... When it comes to giving, uh, the, the clothes that, that giving wears, it, it just runs so counterintuitive to our natural senses. By default, we see giving as a loss. But time and again, God describes it as a gain, not for the recipient, or, or not for the recipient only, but for the giver. So God will inspire us to give in the same way that He inspires us to pray, that he, the same way that He inspires us to read our Bible, in the same way he inspires us to serve. Randy Alcorn, uh, he shares this uh, analogy from his book, The, the, the Treasure Principle, uh, written about 20-some-odd years ago. And this analogy uh, asks us to imagine that we are living in April 1865 uh, and that we have 
special knowledge or some inside knowledge that the Civil War is soon coming to an end, that, that General Lee is going to surrender to Grant at Appomattox, and then Joe Johnson and the Army of Tennessee is going to surrender just a few weeks later, and the war is coming to an end. He's asked us to think, and he says, imagine that you are in the South, and that you have accumulated a tremendous amount of Confederate currency. You're sitting on wads of Confederate cash. Now, you know the war's coming to an end. You've got this money, and you've also been presented an opportunity to, to exchange your Confederate currency for U.S. currency. What do you do? What do you do? Do you hold on to the Confederacy, Confederate currency? Well, the smart person's move is... You get rid of as much as you can, and you only keep the currency that's going to last you the next three and a half weeks until the war is over, right? You don't, you don't exchange, you don't keep that currency. You exchange all that you possibly could because you know that that money is going to be worthless in just a very short time. What is analogy as you can project and imagine is that as believers, we also have... I guess you could call it inside knowledge. It's not really inside knowledge. Anybody can uh, hear God's word. Anybody knows that we're all going to die at some point. We, we know that the currency that we have becomes worthless to us at the moment Christ returns or the moment we die. It is worthless to us at that point. And this knowledge should radically affect how we spend that money, what we do with that money. That, this knowledge should, should change our trajectory of thinking about not earthly treasures but heavenly treasures when it comes to giving let's be inspired to give let's be inspired to give for an eternal portfolio when it comes to giving let's be informed let's know what we're giving to let's be prepared for it let's plan for it when it comes to giving let's find ourselves willing by allowing God to work in us and act and will through us according to his good pleasure and for his good purpose and when it comes to giving let's find ourselves able to give let's get our financial house in order uh, so that we can give and give more and let's go ahead and lean in towards giving will you please join me in prayer father we know that the subject of generosity covers so much more than just money father we know that generosity is a condition of our heart and it's a reflection of your love to us. We give because you first gave to us. Help us to understand that the key principle in giving is no different from any other grace within the Christian life. Discerning your will and obeying. Father, we pray that you'd help us to enjoy fewer resources here so that we can develop the capacity to share. Help us to, to deliberately forgo a, a better place to live or a newer car or a better food or a nicer vacation. Give us a willingness to choose, uh, thinking beyond money now, uh, not to attend another Bible study, but instead to help lead one. Or to not hold on to our small group leader, but to graciously encourage them to start a new unit and to be patient while a less skilled teacher learns. And Father, we pray that you help us as we choose to worship with unfamiliar lyrics and music to help ensure the future of the church. Or help us as we decide to live on one income and not two. Dear Lord, we know that we all start in a different place when it comes to stewardship and generosity. And wherever we are, we want to do the, the next thing in front of us, uh, whether that's getting our financial house in order, that's giving to the church for a first time, or becoming regular in our giving, 
to committing to the tithe, to committing above the tithe. Father, help us to express hospitality to those who cannot return the gesture. We know that what we get in return for enjoying fewer resources here won't fully be known for eternity, but let that hope inspire us. Give us a vision for that. And Father, let us be satisfied with it, knowing that in the here and now that, uh, that we can thank you for the joy that we get when we're generous, when we see other lives improve and we experience a closer walk with Jesus Christ. Help us, dear Lord, to reflect your love to those around us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and there's an opportunity for you to respond to, to grace. To grace. Uh, we, we most recognize grace as what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, uh, something that we could not do for ourselves. And that is true in our look for money, but that's true also at the point of our salvation. And if that is a grace in which you are just now being introduced to, we want to welcome you to come forward this morning. We invite you to come forward this morning. I'll be here in just a moment and I explain a little bit more about what that grace means. You're also welcome to come and to join and affiliate with this church this morning. Thank you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, and now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relief. How precious did that grace of me, the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been saved. promise good to me. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope.
As our uh, ushers come forward this morning, uh, a few things just to remind you of. Uh, we will be gathering in prayer here every day this week as we support those that are in a mission ta uh, Indian town. And so at 745 here in the worship center, uh, Monday through Friday, and then at noon, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, there will be a prayer group here uh, that's leading. If you can't make it here at 745 or you can't make it here at noon, uh, you pray uh, where you are. Uh, it is neat to see a church on mission, uh, those that are actually there and present and, and those that are here and, and supporting in prayer and supporting and, and somebody you all have given financially to support it as well. So thank you for that. Wednesday night we will have a 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock wow service. At 7.30 uh, there is a crusade service down in Indian Town. Uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. That is going to be streamed over Facebook Live. And so uh, 7.30, I understand this, you know, uh, a different culture may not have the precise start time, but um, sometime between 7.30 and 8, you ought to be able to find a uh, worship service on, on Facebook Live that's, uh, that's there. And so uh, let's go to the Lord now as we pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to give. And, and Father, uh, as I look over this room, and I don't know uh, hardly any uh, of the stories here uh, in great detail, but there are, there are more than a handful that I do know. Uh, and they are just great examples of generosity and of giving. And they, they know what it is to be giving for giving, to be profitable for the giver. And I thank you that it is characteristic of so many in our church family. And that this message is, is, is more an affirmation than anything else today. So, Father, as we come before you now to, to give, we, we give because we want to. We want to be involved in a mission uh, that is building great commissionaries out of the people of this area and is now doing that in South Florida. So we pray that you bless this offering. We ask it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we prepare to give and leave the service today, um, we want to be mindful of our mission team that's in Florida, of course.